0: Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon.
1: Well, happy new year again, and uh, welcome to the first Sunday of 2019 yeah yeah that's yeah exciting it's new year brand new out the box um and many of us make new year's resolutions. You don't have to identify yourself in the moment, but you know we- many of us do, and according to surveys, the top resolutions for Americans are to goals to lose weight, eat healthy and nutritious, get out of debt, read more. Etc. make more money. But the interesting thing about these resolutions is that we oftentimes fall short of making those things become a reality because we don't really quite grasp what we're up against or who we need to get to, who we need to get us to the next step and the next level. And each year we have what I refer to as reverse Cinderella syndrome. Y'all remember Cinderella? She was living a busted life, and then for a few hours got to live her best life. But then when the clock struck midnight, her chariot turned back into a pumpkin. You know, the, everything went back to the way it was, busted before. And I say we do a reverse Cinderella because we think that when the clock strikes midnight, All of a sudden, all of our bad habits and all of our former ways completely go away, right? It's like, okay, because I said new year, new me, then that means I'm going to eat well, I'm going to work out every day, I'm going to read every book, I'm going to take out toxic people in my life, I'm not going to be a toxic person in my life, I'm going to do all of these things January 1st. And because of that, we can end up getting discouraged, frustrated, and that, after for some of us, has happened already. The funny thing about it is New Year's Eve really isn't set up well for those of us who have good intentions to get up in the morning and do a whole lot of things, right? Like, many of us, stay up late, we're, you know, kind of tired, maybe some other things, and, uh, and so it becomes a challenge. But the reality is... That the challenge, the problem is that the calendar has changed, but you and I haven't changed. Like, we're the same person at 1201 that we were at 1159. And so in order for us to really make the most of any new year, we have to think differently about what does it take. And so that's why today's message is really the theme is redeem the time redeeming the time, because we need to redeem time to do that. To redeem means to recover or to, to buy back. And if there's one person in the scripture that knows a lot about lost time and found time, it's the person credited with writing this passage. His name was Moses, and this passage is Psalm 90. It's interestingly the only psalm out of the whole Psalter, 150, that he's accredited with. So this is how it reads. There's a superscription, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity, To eternity, you are God. Now, Moses has a unique perspective and point of view when it relates to time. He was born to a people who had suffered at this point over 400 years of oppression by Pharaoh. And as their numbers started to increase, this Pharaoh decided to actually exterminate infanticide, just kill all of the babies who were male of the Hebrews. That was the time in which he was born. And his mother did his best to kind of hide him as much as she could. But then after a while, he got big enough that she knew that that wasn't going to work anymore. And so she prepared a basket, you know, made it kind of waterproof, put him in the basket And floated them down a river. And this is when you think about it. Where timing. Is everything. I mean. At the wrong time. A a, a wave could have flipped the basket over. That's it. For baby Moses. At the wrong time. A predator. Could have come in the water. That's it. Or. The wrong person finds the basket. But. As it would find out, as it would happen, that Pharaoh's daughter, the very Pharaoh whose decree it was to exterminate these babies, his daughter happens to find this baby and is drawn to him and decides to take care of him. So he ends up being raised in the very house, in the very mansion and very palace of the people who were seeking to exterminate him because of timing. But not only that, we also know that in, in the Exodus account that the wild thing was because his older sister happened to follow the basket. And then when the when Pharaoh's daughter found the basket and she sees this Hebrew uh, child around, she said, hey, I need a, I need a wet nurse. So then his, daughter, his sister Miriam actually goes, get, goes to get his mom and his mom gets paid to nurse her own son. In the palace, and during that time, she reminds him and talks to him about what his real identity is, and and that she believes that he was given this unique opportunity and this unique moment for a purpose and a reason. Well, we also know that at around forty, Moses starts getting fidgety, right? He starts to feel like, man, this. He starts to have a little bit of a midlife crisis because. He keeps hearing, and he's heard all his life that he's this deliverer, but yet he sees this Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, and he decides to intervene in his own timing. He kills the Egyptian, and then word gets out, and so now he's a wanted man, and he runs and flees into hiding because his timing wasn't right. Maybe we can identify with Moses because, you know, that feeling when people have all of these high expectations and hopes for you. You, like myself, may have been the first in your college, to, uh, first in your family to go to college and graduate. Or 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 maybe just because of some other circumstances, first generation, born in America, one of these other categories. And people are like, yo, you are the hope. Like, there's so much riding on you. And as you are growing up and living life and you're saying, you know what? It's not quite working out the way that all the promises that were given. And so here's Moses, 40 years, a fugitive. And in this barren land, just serving as a shepherd in Midian, some backwater place. And he's there for another 40 years. Thinking this is a wrap. Now he's 80 years old and thinking, you know, my, all that dream and all that promise of being a deliverer that's over with. And it's at that moment when he's 80 that God reveals himself in the burning bush. Then after a whole process of deliverance, he now is in the wilderness with these people that he delivered for another 40 years. 120 years old before he fully lives out his calling and his mission. And, and that Moses, this is so when we read this, that he's, he writes toward the end of his life, and he says, You have been our, our refuge in every generation. He said, Look, my, my mom told me something about how you kept us in the midst of suffering and oppression. She, she told me about how faithful you've been, and I've seen you be faithful in my life, and then the next generation who entered into the promised land. So here's the key point. Is that when we start with time, we have to remember that before the mountains, before this world existed, God was there. God is the source of time. He's the source of it. He's the author of time. Time, in fact, is a space that God created himself. He exists outside of time. And for us to really appreciate what to do with our time, we first have to start there. Because even when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he was revealing is I'm the God of the generations. I was Abraham's God. I was Isaac's God. I was Jacob's God. And now I'm here. I've been here. I've been doing this. Like you wanting to deliver your people and get justice for them, that might be new to you, but I've been at this for a while. <laughs> and so don't fear and don't fret. And oftentimes we can feel like our plans and our time has been wasted. But if we remember that God is the source of time and that he's operating on a different timetable, it might help us. But Moses also reveals the problem in verses three and four. He says this, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night and so so what Moses does here is he recalls back to the fall he says you return mankind to the dust and say descendants of Adam of course we know Adam was the first man that God created and when he and Eve were in the garden there were two trees that were placed in the garden one had everything to do with time the tree of life The other was a choice that God put there to see if they would worship him or go with their own methods and plans for their own lives, the tree of knowledge. We know they ate that tree. And so as a result of that, and also to rescue them from being in a perpetual state of fallenness, God cast them out of the garden and protects them from eating the other tree, the tree of life. But here's the problem. Ever since that point, we experience the burden and the struggle of life, not as it was meant to be, but as it exists in a fallen world. It says in that same Genesis chapter 3 that thorns and thistles would come up and arise and resist the man and the woman. Pain would come in childbearing, that there would be all of these fruit of this fallenness and, and we experience it day to day right like you're late for that job interview and then mta picks this day to act up and have a, a, a delay on the train you're like really right now I, got, I gotta go reroute it and take a whole nother path today it's fallen. it's broken and there's also ways in which we also look at the second part, right? So, so not only is there a fall, but then he says, for in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. As a result of this, now we have a disconnected view from God's perspective on time. As a result of that, sometimes we tend to judge God based on our sense of timing. You, you're, not, you're not acting, you're not doing this right, God, because, you know, that bill was due like yesterday. So if you're an on-time God, um, I think you might be running a little late on MTA. Right? We can feel frustrated and feel like, yo, things aren't happening according to my time frame. What's wrong with you when God is saying, yo, his time frame is operating on an entire different playing field. The following verses talk about the sense of that, that, the judgment and the struggle that comes from the fact that life is so short. But then Moses goes on in verse eight. He says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80. Our time is often wasted. It's not just that it's brief or that it's short, but it can also be unproductive and unfruitful. We can be frustrated with our own inability to use our time effectively. And part of the, the challenge is the temptation of temporary gratification, short-term gratification over long-term gratification. You know, that, that tendency that we have, we see this in scripture all the time, right? Like, I mean, when you look at Abraham and, and Sarah, and they were promised that God would give them a baby, but they were really old, and when God, God revealed this to Abraham. He was 75. And so they're like, okay, this may be possible, you know, we old, but you know, God is God. Then 80 comes around. Then 90 comes around. By that 95th birthday, they're like, well, you know, maybe we need to kind of help God out. So they, so Sarah suggests that they go to his servant girl, Hagar, and have a baby with them. And, and, and that is not, exa- not what, at all what God had in mind. Or you look at Esau. Here's a guy who had an entire inheritance in store. Just imagine like a million dollars just waiting for you if you just, you know, wait out and be patient in time. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I tell you what, you can wait for a long time to get that inheritance or right now, I give you the most banging chopped cheese sandwich you ever had in your life. Like, it's gonna change your life, son. Like, yo, this is amazing. And you just came back from a workout because you know, new year, new you. So you're like, uh, I'm hungry. Yeah, you get the million dollars. Give me this right now. That's what Esau did completely squandered his inheritance. Now, that might sound crazy and foreign, but the reality is we oftentimes give up our dignity to be in toxic relationships. I'm going to do this exchange, and instead of holding on to the value that God says I have for my life, well, since this person will give me attention if I just give him myself and my body for the night, then, okay, I'll make that exchange. And because we don't have this view on time. Look at what C.S. Lewis said about the, the perspective that we oftentimes miss when it comes to time and, and pleasure. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too far too easily pleased. He says this is the problem with humanity is that oftentimes our our sense of vision, our sense of focus becomes so short-term That we miss out on God's blessing because of what is in the present, instead of Mr. Right, we decide on Mr. Right Now, or Mrs. Right Now. Time is fleeting and often tragically wasted. A research firm by the name of Challenger Gray and Christmas uh, decided to examine and study a unique phenomenon every March. There's a basketball tournament uh, in college sports called March Madness. And they decided to to just kind of look at how this tournament and people's enthusiasm about it impacts uh, the economy. And what they found is that when you add up the time spent on employees working on brackets, like at work, watching the tournament games live, having the extenuating conversations at the water cooler that the loss of productivity equals about $4 billion in the United States of lost productivity. Many of us like this shirt says, okay, he says, okay, I can. he made a bracket and it's like, I can watch basketball or go to work. Duh, watch basketball, right? And you multiply that over millions of people and you see how just stolen moments of, let me check the score, my alma maters in a close game turns into a complete loss of productivity and value. Now, that's just what it relates to business, but what about in our very lives? How often have you settled for getting imaginary coin in a game rather than the actual coin in life? <laughs> Some of you, know, okay, looking at me, you don't know what to talk about, so... Or that might have hit a little too close to home. Uh, I had this experience uh, this Christmas break. Uh, my family were together. Uh, you know, in-laws were out, you know, talking to my, you know, my wife. And But I was playing this, like, word game, right, where, like, they have, like, these tournaments. And it's like a 24-hour tournament. And whoever gets the most, you know, uh, words solved and puzzled, like, by that end of that time gets, like, 1,000 coins. And... I was, like, very, I'm very competitive, and I was, like, in second place, but there was only, like, about 50 minutes left. And here I am with my family supposed to be spending, like, this time Christmas, folks leaving the next day, and I'm like, all right, hold on, wait, hold on. I got to get this. got to get this for imaginary coins. Like, it only exists in the context of the game. Like, I can't go to the grocery store with that. Like, yo, I got 500 coins, so uh, let me get some grapes. Let me get some. Nah, that doesn't work. And here's the reality. Game designers have studied human psychology and what makes us work and what keeps us engaged in stuff that's going to be a distraction to us. In fact, you, some of you have been on Netflix long enough to remember when at the end of your program, that was pretty much it, and you had to make a choice to click on something in order to continue watching. Then they made that joint like 10, 15 seconds. You're like, oh, no, we probably shouldn't click. Now that thing is like three seconds. It's like, yo, if I don't in and get out of there, then you be like, uh, where's the exit? Like, if, and How many of us have watched about two or three more episodes just because it was coming? They studied... Who our tendencies and know that that is the case. This is what the apostle Paul put it. How he put it in Ephesians five. He said, "Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil." So a couple things that's fascinating here about this. One, he says the days are evil. They're not neutral. There's a a tendency in this world to get us distracted. We have an enemy who wants to get us distracted as long as he can keep us, our minds and our attentions away from ultimate things to trifle things, then then he wins. And the other thing is this making the most of the time. If you look in the original Greek, it could also be translated to redeem the time or literally to buy back time. And when we are wise, with what we do with our time is actually like we're buying it back. We're, we're taking it back. We're, we're using time that could otherwise be wasted for eternal and good purposes. Buying back time. There's it, it, a decision you have to make when it's like, okay, some time has been wasted, or maybe you went to sleep late or whatever, and you got to make that, that that crucial decision before you get out the door. And it's like, am I going to use the swipe or am I going to take the Uber? Right? Then it's like, do I go pool, which I might still be five minutes late. And then they give you that crazy range of like 20 minutes. Or do I just go get the X? And it's like sometimes there's a difference between 275 and $20. But that decision you're making is how much is it worth it for me to redeem this time? And so this issue of redeeming the time it says because the days are evil. And oftentimes we were so distracted by trying to get the imaginary coin that we have to now spend more coin on an Uber because we're late. We have to redeem the time. But the challenge is there's something what I call weapons of mass distraction. These are the weapons of mass distraction. They fit in our pockets, yet they oftentimes control our lives. And what tends to happen is that if we want to know what happened to our goals, our dreams, and our visions for the year, we just got to look at that little screen time feature. You know about the screen time usage, right? It kind of tells on you. It says, okay, this is what you did last week. You spent an average of eight hours on this phone a day. Here are the apps that you were on while you were doing that. And sometimes that could be a very convicting thing. You're like, oh, man, I didn't ask for all that. Just, just get me back to the game. I need to get more coins. Um, but the reality is these distractions are very impactful in our lives. In fact, 80% of car accidents on the road happen because of distracted drivers. So much so that many states have actually banned the use of using devices while people are driving. So if this is the case, if there are so many distractions, well, what can we do what, what, about this? How, how can we push beyond this to get to a place where we're actually redeeming the time and getting us closer to our goals? Well, I'm glad you asked, because verse 12 is what Moses centers on in this prayer. And he says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Teach us to number our days carefully. And this this word wisdom is a very um, underused word in our culture. You see, we focus a lot of time on knowledge, but not so much on wisdom. Knowledge is information, and information is helpful, it can be powerful. But wisdom is the unique skill of knowing what to do with the information. Right? Like how to, how, you know, I, I can read a book on biology, but you don't want me to do the surgery on you. Like, like that's a whole other level. That takes wisdom and how do I incorporate all of the things that I've learned. And so what he's saying here is that God, teach us to number our days carefully and the interesting thing is whenever you start to number and count things, it actually gives you perspective about how you're supposed to move forward with those goals and that mission. So, for example, I usually I've developed this habit and this routine um, of at the end of the year, like by the, usually last week of the year, the first week of the new year, I actually have a time where I just reflect on the previous year. And I do two things to do that. I use my calendar. I bring out my calendar, and then I look at my journal and just kind of remind myself going from January to December what was going on in my life and in my mind. And it's fascinating how it changes my perspective about what I did with time because I forgot. I forgot some of the stuff that happened. And this year in particular, I was kind of discouraged because some of the things I wanted to see happen in 2018 really didn't. I wanted to do more, and I was frustrated. And then when I just looked back and went back into my calendar, I realized, wow, wow. God, I had published over 40 articles and, and, and spoke all over the country. And it's just these things that weren't really goals that I had just forgotten over the course of time because some of it happened way back in March or way back in February. And so one of the things that we have to do is to number our days carefully or else we can get discouraged. You know what you do. like Whenever you have any goal, right? So if your goal is to um, get out of debt. Well, the first step you have to do is see how much debt you're in. What's the number? Then you have to look at how much, you know, what's my budget? How much am I bringing in? And then once I have all of that information sorted, I can now go see what my goal is a reasonable goal of attacking that debt. Same thing with weight, whether it's gaining weight or losing weight. You look at it and you go, okay, here's where I currently am. Here's where I need to be or where I want to be. And then, so numbering and counting helps to move forward. So he says, Teach us to number our days carefully, which is interesting in establishing this goal. So, my question is what are you doing with your 27,375? 27,375 are the average number of days that an American lives. Equivalent of 75 years. Remember when Moses talked about that, our number of 70, or if by strength, 80? Still about hitting in that same number that Moses talked about. Now, of course, you have to do the math. If you're 25, then that means you have to go 365 times 25 equals 9,125 days that you've already spent out of that 27,375, and so on and so forth. Now, there's something kind of sobering and for some people even morbid about seeing a number to go, yo, like that's maybe like around what you can expect to live. Some live older, some don't make it to there. But it's also very helpful and practical to get us to a place where we go, yo, like I sometimes just don't, I take for granted and just kind of go aimlessly from day to day. But what if I were, what, what if I realized that there was a counter and each day that I miss is a day that I have less to do and accomplish things that God has for me to do. Now, that could be discouraging, depending on as you look at back at that and go, wow, I've wasted a lot of time. But there is good news about time. Because not only is God the source of time, but he is the redeemer of time. Oh, that's good news that God is the redeemer of time. You see, God has this unique ability to buy back into whenever there's something was squandered to get you back into where it needed to be. Look at what Romans 5 and 6 says. It says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, when you, sometimes we take this for granted, but when you stop and think about it, the fact that it says Jesus came through 40 generations, when you look at the genealogy, God planned the exact moment, the exact time, the exact person you know, in Mary to give birth to the Savior at the exact moment of time. Nothing was wasted. And he said that in the same way that Christ died for us, now we are redeemed if we put faith in what he did in actual time living a sinless life, healing, fulfilling prophecy, and ultimately going to his death and being resurrected in 33 years. That's what he did with time. And as a result of that, he now gives us the opportunity and ability to say, though you used to be this, now you are a new creation because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And that newness will take and remix anything that was a bad decision, a bad use of time in the past. Now God uses it for his glory at the exact moment. In the same way, when you stop and think about the fact that, okay, Moses, you thought that 40 years in obscurity and just being a shepherd was just wasted time. No, I was taking that 40 years to teach you how to be a shepherd of people for 40 years. I redeemed that time. God is telling the same story in our lives. Nothing is wasted. But in order for us to get there, we have to do some myth busters. Got to flow through these quickly. But there's a few myths about time that we end up having and that, that, that kind of caused us to be short circuit. Here's the first myth. Money matters, but time is trivial. It's fascinating the lengths to which we will protect our money, right? We, we put it in a bank. We, we have encrypted software so that people can't hack into it. You know what I mean? We have all these things that we do to protect our money, but people have open access to our time. <laughs> like just, you know, it's just, we don't protect it at all and in the same way. And I love how this one uh, rapper put it, um, Timothy Brindle. He said, it's kind of funny... Some say time is money, but time's more precious than money, wine, or honey. Because we're spending time when there's no refunds. We'll never see it again. There's no reruns. If you lost your Hummer, you can, it's possible to cop another, but time is something we cannot recover. Time is actually more precious than money. So the question is do you protect your time like you protect your money? Here's the fact. We ought to treat time like it's more precious than treasure because it is. Some of the most effective people in the world, what they actually do is they actually time the activities that they were going to budget to do in a certain day. Right. So it's like, okay, I um, have to fill out some paperwork and it's like I'm giving myself an hour to do that, and they set a timer, and at the end of that hour, if it's not done, they put it aside and do on, move on to the next thing, because they're budgeting their time and figuring out what happens, what they have to do so that they can focus on what they can do. Here's the second myth that we have to confront. New year equals new you. Yeah, see the reality is, here's some facts, only 64% of New Year's resolutions last longer than the first month by the time we get into the end of February 46 percent in the next few months so here's the challenge it is good to have a reset and to have goals but I think the more accurate thing to say is new year equals new opportunity to transform you And what this reminds us is, is the fact that there's no automatic reverse Cinderella thing happening where all of a sudden the the new year turns around and now I'm just transformed into a new person. No, I got to earn that transformation. And I earn that transformation by taking advantage of the opportunities that are given to me. We have to set goals for our success, and then create a scoreboard that keeps us accountable to those goals. But here's part of the good news about Moses' life. I imagine that at 40 years old when he was in obscurity and then, you know, coming back that around that time, see, it's funny, I actually just got a, like, a invite, like, a save the date for, like, my 20-year, like, college reunion, right, like, college anniversary. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy, 20 years. But then when you think about it, there's always this part of us that when we go into spaces like reunions, like you're kind of everybody sizing each other up to kind of compare where we are. And that's one of the dangers that happens in life, especially on social media, is that we can end up comparing ourselves to each other, not realizing that God has us on a unique timetable that's our own. You don't have to worry about what they're doing. Like, like just stay on you. Um, So... There's a new opportunity. Here's some people to encourage you. You know, Samuel L. Jackson got his first big break when he was 43 years old. Think about how many movies he's made. Vera Wang didn't even get into the fashion industry until she was 40. The clock on that didn't even start until then. uh, Stan Lee, the godfather of Marvel, didn't write his first comic book until he was 39 years old. Yeah, yeah. So new opportunities that present yourself, you say, okay, the third myth, self-restraint matters more than systems. (laughs) This is especially true, I think we find with fitness and nutrition goals where we just think, okay, because I'm gonna have the, 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 the discipline and the focus and the drive to eat different and exercise different, then that means I'm gonna get the new results. Well, in actuality, that may last for a little bit, but see, something happens when somebody put that plate of biscuits in front of you and it's just like, or that whatever it is that, that gets you for me, biscuits. Yeah. And it's just like all of a sudden, all the intentions and the plan and the goal for what I was supposed to eat for that particular day go out the window. Cause I'm looking at those biscuits. <laughs> so here's the reality about systems. There's a f- few things we have to rig the system in order to help us have success right? Like we have to do things, for example, like one of the key things when it comes to nutrition is just not putting, th- bringing things in the house. Like that's the first step. Like only bring the stuff that you actually want to help support your goals at home. But then there's this other thing that people found, and this is fascinating. People have found that those who weigh themselves tend to w- lose more weight than those who don't. The mere fact of stepping on a calendar on a regular basis. Tends to cause people who otherwise have the same exact stats and doing the same exact thing to lose more weight and when I first started doing this when like I had like a really intense like season where I was like on my grind, I saw why because when you like are seeing like some you're feeling good about those three workouts you put in that week and then you kind of fell off and had like five biscuits in one sitting and, you know, and then you come look at and you step on the next day and you see the change. It, it mentally helps you connect that moment of weakness to what I'm now seeing, which is the opposite of what my goal is. And so what they found is that this is, offers a form of accountability. And that form of accountability, just creating a system where I do something different, causes me to actually react different. So fact three is system strengthen self-control. This is undervalued and this is underappreciated but it's one of the reasons why you just got to do things like I have a system now where I eat before I go grocery shopping because if I don't they, studies have shown you will tend to overspend and spend stuff on empty stuff if you just are hungry why you you're like yo I want that no I got to get the sour cream and onion and the barbecue because you know I might be in the mood for either one like you just start to make different decisions when you're hungry than when you're like okay I'm full I'm good no I can make wise decisions but sometimes we need people to be our scale. Who is your scale? Because, see, a scale is, a person, is accountability. It's, it's a reminder of, hey, you, you're off your goal. And some of the reasons why we fall short is because we don't have anybody asking us and checking us how my decision last night, last week, is taking me off of my goal of getting closer to God. Taking me off of my goal to to, to have this outcome. So we need scales, not just physical ones that we stand on, but people that stand with us to help us reach our goals. There's one last myth more activity means more productivity. It's funny how we uh, can sometimes be like, oh, what's going on with you? And we be like, you know, I'm so busy. And like, I'm so busy oftentimes it's like cold for like, I'm so important, like I'm killing life right now because I have found a way to fill every moment of my day with things to do and people to talk to and places to go. And in our culture, busy is code for important and significant and effective, but it's a lie. Just like multitasking is a lie. Multitasking is this idea that like, I can do multiple things well, like listen to my wife while I'm watching the game. No, that's a lie. And like, like what it is, is I'm just doing two things poorly. And so we have to get to this idea when we go, here's the fact, rest and reflection produce re-creation. See, the picture that God gives us in creation is on the after creating the world in six days, he rests on the seventh, and there's this aspect of renewal. And so he's giving us a pattern to set that low. If you really want to be creative, if you really want to get to a place where the ideas are flowing and your productivity is flowing, you have to take the same Sabbath that God did. This is why the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oftentimes in Christian circles, Sabbath kind of gets a bad rap because we read all the passages of Jesus and the Pharisees confronting each other, you know, them confronting him on the Sabbath. Then we kind of almost get this idea that Sabbath is wrong or bad. And that's not at all the point. Jesus's point was, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So don't try to hold me down to your man-made rules. But the rhythm of rest and reflection is absolutely essential. You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. We need space to create moments where we can reflect and think about what, this is what Moses is doing in this very song. Teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's saying, teach us to think about the time that we have and what we're doing with it so that we are wise. Some of us need a technology Sabbath. A regular cadence where you turn off the notifications and turn off the devices. And for 24 hours, you're offline. You don't know what's trending. You don't know about the latest beef and spat. And it's okay because you are taking that space and time to allow there to be new ideas and thoughts. Here's the last two verses. And then we're out of here. Moses prays to conclude this psalm. Let your work be seen by our servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. And so at the end of this, even though there is this aspect that is on us and that there's a challenge that we have to do things different in 2019 and to make better choices, at the end of the day though, Moses brings it back to God and says, Lord, you establish the work of our hands. You are gonna be the one that determines the productivity of the results of what we do. All I'm asking is that you help us to be faithful, help us to have wisdom about what we do with our time, but the significance of it, the, and what you're gonna do with it, establish the work of our hands by your grace. That word, let the favor of the Lord your God be on us, is, is that word favor means the beauty and the grace of God. Lord, would you be the one that establishes us in the work of our hands. One picture that helps me set this clear, this favor of God, is this picture that we get in basketball. In the NBA, oftentimes you see the the basket, which is the goal, right? To get the ball into the bucket and whoever has more at the end of the game wins. But there's two things that are right over the goal One is each quarter has 12 minutes in it. It's it's kind of the big picture of where you are in the game, right? This is where you are in that 27,975 days. But under that, there's a 24-second shot clock. And that 24-second shot clock is the amount of time that a person has in a possession to get the ball in the basket. Here's the reality, no matter how good the team is, no matter how many great shooters they might have, even if they're the Warriors, people are gonna miss that shot and that goal sometimes. But when they do, and they get the ball back, there's another 24 seconds. Uh, I have another friend of mine who wrote this song called Brand New Day. And he said, every day is a new 24 on the shot clock, either get your shot blocked or score. With each new day that's dawning, every time night turns to morning, grace is new. Mercy is new. What you're going to do with it? And that is the question that we have for 2019. Yeah, yeah, you may have had some days you squandered. We're already six days into this mad boy, and you may have already, you know, kind of, you know, fallen short of some resolutions. But with each day that's dawning, each time night turns to morning, Grace is new. Mercy is new. The shot clock is reset. It's an opportunity for us to get it right. And if we get it right more than we get it wrong, then we leave the results to God and say, okay, establish the work of our hands. May us in 2019, may we remember that God is the source and the redeemer of time. And because of him, we know that he's given us opportunity, to get the ball in the bucket. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you redeem time. Thank you that you establish the work of our hands. We pray, and I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, that you would teach us to number our days carefully, that you would give us a heart of wisdom to accomplish that which you have for us to do, and that we would not look to the left or the right, that we wouldn't compare ourselves to anybody else. But we will run to you. God, I pray that you would give people scales of accountability to confide in, to trust in. And God, at the end of the day, would we be careful to celebrate and have rest to reflect on what you've done, knowing that you are the God of every generation and that you make all things new. In Christ's name,
0: amen.